You're listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast of readings and archives from City Lights books and publishers. To learn more, visit www.citylights.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to City Lights Live. I'm your host, Peter Maravellis, and today, City Lights, in conjunction with Gallery Wendy Norris and Princeton University Press, are pleased to be celebrating the publication of the book, Surreal Spaces, The Life and Art of Leonora Carrington, written by Joanna Moorhead and published by Princeton University Press. Before we begin, as is customary at the start of each event, I'd like to acknowledge we are beaming to you from the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatishaloni peoples, where numerous dialects of language were spoken along the peninsula that is also known as the San Francisco Bay Area. We would like to take this moment to offer our respect to those who have come before us as stewards of the land. Leonora Carrington was a complex, multifaceted, and truly extraordinary visionary artist. Her creative drive led her to work in a variety of different mediums. She was a painter, a sculptor, a novelist, a mystic, an advocate for the environment, a feminist advocate, having been a founding member of the women's liberation movement in Mexico during the 70s. And although her work was never celebrated as widely as many of her male surrealist art counterparts with whom she had been associated with, her originality and sheer creative output places her in a field of her very own. It is safe to say that Leonora Carrington was far ahead of her time. The appreciation and references made to her and her work by a variety of popular artists, musicians, and writers reveals the extent of her influence on 21st century culture. The book Surrealist Spaces is unique in that it is written by a family member of Ms. Carrington. Joanna Moorhead's father was Leonora Carrington's cousin, and Ms. Moorhead had the great fortune of spending a substantial amount of time with Ms. Carrington towards the end of her life. As a result, there's a kind of an insight into the artist and their life that one wouldn't normally have. This is no ordinary biography. Surreal Spaces traverses the continents, following Leonora Carrington on a personal journey, taking her across Europe, the United States, and finally Mexico, where she was to settle and create a home for herself. Joanna Moorhead describes the places and the experiences that had a lasting impression upon Leonora Carrington in which were to appear as motifs in her work and writing. The book features photographs, drawings, and paintings of the spaces that so richly influenced Carrington's work. For those of us with an interest in Carrington's work and in the history of surrealism at large, Surreal Spaces is a landmark achievement, and Joanna Moorhead has performed a great service and tribute to the memory of her relative and to art history and the public record. Joanna Moorhead is an award-winning journalist and author. She has written for a wide range of major UK magazines and newspapers, having regularly contributed to The Guardian, Observer, The Times, and The Art Newspaper. She's the author of eight books, including a second book on Leonora Carrington titled The Surreal Life of Leonora Carrington. She writes and broadcasts on the arts and particularly the role of women in the arts and has produced arts documentaries for the BBC Radio. Joining her today in conversation, we are delighted to have with us Wendy Norris, the founder and director of Gallery Wendy Norris, our neighbor just down the street from City Lights, also a leading international art gallery, which is based in San Francisco. She champions critically acclaimed modern and contemporary artists and artist estates. Since establishing the gallery in 2002, Wendy Norris has curated over 150 solo and thematic exhibitions. Having her here with us today is especially auspicious as her gallery represents several artists associated with the Surrealist movement, and specifically, Leonora Carrington. Ms. Norris is in a unique position to speak authoritatively upon Leonora Carrington's work as she is the estate's representative. The gallery Wendy Norris has not only placed Leonora Carrington's work in art exhibits and museums around the world, but has also staged its own original exhibits. These include the Talismanic Lens, held here in San Francisco in 2008. Also the show Leonora Carrington, the Celtic Surrealist, held at the Irish Museum of Modern Art in Dublin in 2014. And most recently, the exhibit being The Story of the Last Egg, which was held in New York City in 2019 and presented in a space on Madison Avenue that was built to specification to house this remarkable show. Together with a major exhibit of Leonora Carrington's artwork included in the program was also a scholarly symposium exploring the different aspects of Ms. Carrington's life and work. So I really can't think of a better interlocutor to be joining us here today. 
So please join us now in giving a warm welcome to Joanna Moorhead and Wendy Norris. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for all the, I see a lot of wonderful faces out there. Um, that was a wonderful introduction. I hope Joanna and I can live up to that um, enthusiasm. Um, just for the audience members to know, full disclosure, I think Joanna and I have known each other since I want to say 2010. And we occasionally meet um, in wonderful locations, typically surrounding Leonora Carrington events, namely museum shows and whatnot. And I'll get into that a little bit later. I do have a, a few questions to ask, and I find that kind of funny because I'm not the journalist here. So um, you can critique me later, Joanna, for my journalistic integrity or lack thereof, but here we go. Um, much like uh, was stated in the introduction, um, it is such an exciting time for Leonora Carrington. There have been countless books released just in the last 10 years alone. Um, there are those with art historical leanings, such as Susan A. Berth and Ted A. Ark's book on the tarot of Leonora Carrington. Now it's in, in its second edition already. Um, earlier this year, Katrina Makara's book was published entitled The Medium of Leonora Carrington. And I recently received the English translation from its previous original Italian of Giulia Angario's Leonora Carrington, The Image of Dreams. And then, um, as we know, Leonora's son and your cousin, Joanna, recently published um, Gabby Wise Carrington, he recently published The Invisible Painting, my memoir of Leonora Carrington. And there's a few entertaining um, historical fictions, which I have to remember as somebody who tries to remember the facts that I have to be careful when I delve into those as a, as a curator and sort of a keeper of record for Leonora. But there's some really entertaining books of which I've read including um, Michelle Carter's Leonora in the Morning Light, and recently Claire McMillan's Alchemy of a Blackbird, which is mostly about Remedios Faro, but um, really about their relationship with between the Remedios and Leonora. So, and also all of the publications that we've just seen that have come out, the beautiful publication from Ted Ark and Carlos um, Garcia's show um, that traveled um, uh, revelation that traveled in Europe just recently, that exhibition catalog, the exhibition catalog from the Venice Biennale, and um, the, the galleries catalog, as um, was mentioned earlier, for the story of the last egg. But I believe, as I said to you earlier, Joanna, that you carved out a, a singular niche in the realm of all of these books, something very specific for surreal spaces, which I, I really admire this distinctive point of view. And I'm wondering if we can just start talking about, you know, how you how you can share with the audience what this is without revealing everything that's in it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Wendy, for such a lovely introduction and to, and to Peter from City Lights. Um, and it's great to see so many people um, here. Thank you all so much for coming along. Um, it's quite funny because at the end of you know, in the time I knew Leonora, which is in the last five years of her life, we used to have times when we would talk about a future in which she might be, you know, better known and people would have, I don't know, the people would make fridge magnets and tote bags and uh, posters and ha have events like this. And and they were, that was a joke at the time. You know, uh, we didn't, she didn't believe really at the end of her life, I don't think she really believed that she was becoming much better known. She thought I was, you know, trying to make her feel good. But actually, she was becoming better known even at that time. And she's become much better known, as Wendy says, over the last few years. Um, so this book, Surreal Spaces, um, I mean, I, I I almost didn't write. When, when I first got to know Leonora, the idea was going to be to write a book. That was my idea of how I could keep in touch with her, because... I've got four kids. The youngest was quite little. I had to have a reason to keep going back to Mexico, having met her once and having realised how much I wanted to stay in touch with this woman and get to know her. So I came up with the idea, because I'm a writer, that I could write a book. 
Um, and she said, well, OK, but don't publish it in my lifetime. And I said, well, that's fine because I don't want to publish it in your lifetime. The whole idea is that I can um, use it to, as an excuse for coming to see you lots. But that's not how things worked out, because in the end, I um, went down another avenue and ended up, although I'm not an art historian, but uh, I'm a storyteller, uh, and I ended up co-curating an exhibition of Leonora's work that was back in the UK in 2010. So the idea of writing a book at all, and there was a catalogue to do with that show. So in a sense, this is the third book about Leonora for me. Um, so there was a catalogue, a quite well received catalogue, and we did a lot of research on it. I didn't write it alone. Teresa Ark, who you've mentioned, was involved in that and many other people who, who, who knew a great deal. Um, and so the idea of writing a book really went to the bottom of the pile. But after, for me, but after Leonora died, um, Get, we were getting close to the centenary of her birth and in 2016 I was uh, having having uh, lunch with a friend who's a biographer and he said surely you're going to write that book about Leonora Carrington and I said oh you know I don't think I, I think it's too late now and he said well when's the anniversary of her birth and I said well it's April next year 2017 and he said oh my god Joanna the clock's at five to midnight you've got to do it so he just sort of really enthused me and I thought, you know what, I'll I'll send one one email to one agent and see what she says. And that agent really, really was brilliant, helped me, uh, you know, was very enthusiastic. I got to deal with Virago very quickly and I wrote that book. But I definitely didn't think I'd write a second book. Um, and how this book came about was that simply that I had material over. And also the Virago book is largely... Uh, it's a it's a story of how I see it is it's not particularly aimed at art historians um, it's aimed at general readers and it's the story of why of, of the thing that fascinated me and why I was so pulled into Leonora's life which is it was the story really of why she had to leave our family to be to become the artist she was born to be in leaving, uh, in having to leave leave the family, essentially. Um, she also left, had to leave England, uh, had to leave Europe in the end. Um, so, so, you know, there's a bigger narrative around why she had she had to go. Um, and uh, and that sort of uh, that. So that is is the main story that I'm telling in the surreal life of Leonora Carrington, the Virago book. But also I sort of bookended that with the story of our friendship, which is obviously relevant to the whole story of the family relationship, because I'd come from that family to, to you know, looking for her. Um, but the Virago book doesn't have many images in it. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not, that's not really the, the, what it's about. Obviously, a book about an artist has got to have some images in it, and we hoped that we chose some good ones, some interesting ones. But there were lots more images that I thought it would be good to share. And also, um, I, I'd already been to a lot of the places in Leonora's life, but I became more and more aware of how much the places and spaces in Leonora's life had played out on her canvas, canvases and in her writing, even many, many decades later. Um, and I'm sure that's true of many artists, but I know it's definitely true of Leonora. And, uh, and, um, and then I uh, happened to you know, same sort of thing, meet a, meet a, uh, a publisher who, who thought that, that was a great idea for a book, didn't have. And so I'm very pleased with the, with the new book because it's very heavily illustrated. And obviously, if you write a book about an artist, you want to be able to share their art. So that's how the new book came about, Wendy. I love, um, as I, uh, the, in the book itself, I, there are images um, that I'd never seen that really drive home the point about the spaces and, and how um, they affected her. There's often been a lot of writing, for example, uh, already about how Mexico and her move to Mexico influenced her paintings or her palette or the texture or the iconography. But what I feel like you really drive home and, and next, if you're, as you're reading a passage um, about Cookie Hall, for example, her, her childhood home when she was young, and then you see all the imagery from the nanny's nursery to the kitchen to all of these, these places that you, you 
um, depict alongside the, the images, again, some of those were that I have never seen. And I think I've seen um, as many works as almost anybody alive probably, but but I, I think that really was what is one of the points that drove home for me that you are um, shedding light to, on these new pieces. And and it's really about how she her memory is incorporated into her, her, her work as well. And I think that I haven't seen done um, about her memory as much before, if I may say. And that's that's what really warmed my heart and started getting my juices turning in terms of curatorial ideas and whatnot. Yeah, that, that, that's um, really great to hear. Um, I mean, one of the things that struck me from from starting to research this book, I guess, and even before that, was the irony, if you like, that Leonora chose to leave Lancashire, Crookie Hall, Hazelwood Hall, which is the house the family moved to later on in her teenage years. And yet she didn't really leave it because she took it with her, the memories with her. And uh, and that that says a lot about her story and, you know, what, what was going on in her life. She wasn't. And, it, and in fact, uh, you, you, you rightly say, I mean, many of her works do, of course, um, uh, relate, relate to the Mexico in which she ended up. But surprisingly few is what I, you know, think uh, is generally the, the view of art historians. Surprisingly few, considering that, you know, for 60 plus years, she was at least based in Mexico. She did spend time in the US as well. And surprisingly, because she arrived into a Mexico in 1942, that was a very exciting place artistically with a lot going on. And the way I usually think of it was she sort of brought her stuff with her, the, the stuff that was going to be the stuff of her canvases. She'd, she'd got that suitcase. All these extraordinary adventures had happened to her from her childhood through her adolescence and then her 20, her early 20s, when she'd um, sort of, you know, she'd been expelled from schools. She'd uh, gone down to London and come out as a debutante. She'd met and fallen in love with the last person on the planet who her parents kind of want, would have wanted her to fall in love with. They wanted a Catholic aristocrat and she met a much older uh, 46 to her 20 years um, old um, uh, German artist and the fact that he was famous didn't cut any any interest at all in the Carrington family this was a major disaster for them uh, she, she she ran away she left uh, she chose to leave the family and uh, she had a, 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 a one very important place in her life actually which I go into some, to in some detail in the book was Cornwall in in uh, the, the southwest of England and that's where Leonora first tasted the life of surrealism first really found out what it would mean to be part of the surrealist group and living that way and the way I see it she'd she'd realized from her very young age that she couldn't do as I say what she felt she'd been born put on this earth to do or arrived on this earth to do in her family and I feel like in in Cornwall and in Cornwall she and Max Ernst had to flee London because the police were uh, trying to arrest him for, for some of the images in, in an exhibition he had on. Leonora's father had prompted that. Um, so they so they fled to um, Cornwall and they were joined by many other surrealists, including Lee Miller, uh, Roland Penrose, Hen Henry Moore. I mean, not a member of the surrealist movement, but he went, he called in Eileen Agar. Many um, names, you know, surrealists were there. And they stayed for a few weeks and Leonora tasted this other kind of life. So after that, she went and told her parents she was going and she went to Paris. And in Paris, she was kind of parachuted into the centre of the surrealist movement because that was the a, that was the time of mature surrealism, if you like. Surrealism had been around for a long time. But most of these big guys of surrealism, and they were guys, were like in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, and, and they weren't just the surrealists. I mean, Picasso was there. Obviously, Dali was there. Um, Max Ernst, Breton, Duchamp, all these big names of 20th century art were gathered in, in Paris. And Leonora, by virtue of being the partner now of Max Ernst, was kind of parachuted into the table at the Café de Magot, which was their headquarters, their unofficial headquarters in uh, Saint-Germain. So um, 
this extraordinary time for her and then and then they she and Max Ernst fled Paris and lots of adventures on the way and then he was imprisoned and she went to Spain and extraordinary and terrible things happened to her there um, because she ended up in 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 an asylum with the place she called the asylum it was actually a sanatorium and and very bad things happened to her there she escaped went back to Madrid met by chance this Mexican who Max Ernst had uh, sorry, who Picasso had introduced her to in Paris, and the two of them went to uh, Lisbon, and um, uh, and then caught a ship across to New York. And really, it's the stuff of a novel. I mean, and 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 one of the things I thought when I tried to write that first book was, I just can't do this story justice. You know, it's just such a great tale. Um, I don't think a novelist could have thought up uh, that there are twists and turns in the story. One big twist in particular that I haven't given away there. Um, but uh, but you know it's it's a, it's it, she had these extraordinary adventures and she arrived in Mexico, um, which was a chance thing. You know it was just because this guy who she met, deci they decided to marry in order for her to be able to leave Europe. And she could have ditched him easily in, in New York, but she decided to carry this adventure on to the end of the line. And the end of the line for her in that time was, was Mexico City, and that's where she ended up. So she arrived into the Mexico City at the time of the muralists. Of course, Frida Kahlo was there, but, but you know, didn't seem to be the famous person, the person who was going to be famous at the time. But they hooked up. They knew each other. Frida was already you know, very ill and I think bedridden by that time. But Leonora remember going to the Blue House and meeting Frida. Um, and then, of course, there was all sorts going on in the art world in Mexico because all these emigre artists like Leonora, but in different circumstances, had all arrived in Mexico. So you might think that her art might have taken a turn at that point and she might have painted more about Mexico. And she did have some very important projects like the uh, a big mural now in the Anthropological Museum in Mexico City called the, the Magical World of the Mayans, um, which she did a lot of research for and went to live in, uh, I think, uh, uh, in Chiapas uh, to research. And there are other paintings as well, many other paintings. I mean, she's a very prolific artist, so that there are clearly some paintings that are that are about Mexico, um, you know, or, or, or inspired by Mexico, but many, many more, even as I say, many years later, are actually uh, very linked to, to that Lancashire that she'd left so long before. One of the things, and this was not on one of my list of prepared questions, but as you're you're speaking about it, and I was I was at a studio visit over the weekend here in Oakland and speaking to an artist who's a young mother and you know it's not a space but more a psychological space and when she arrives to Mexico and after she marries and has her first child I feel like that's when she starts making some of her best work like there's always been at least for years there was this um conception in the art world that when a female artist went to have become a mother that that was somehow going to be um uh, not a good thing. I've heard, I may, I must say, I have heard male dealers say that before. <laughs> and, and it just shocked me because, you know, knowing Leonora, how, how I knew her. And when I first met her, I was five months pregnant with my first child. So our whole first conversation was about motherhood, but I love that part of your book. When you talk about how she has a baby in one hand and a paintbrush in the other. And I, how do you think that psychological space as a mother, I, I have to think that's what's linking her back to her childhood in a way. I don't know. No, I, I think that, sorry, yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I think having her sons, uh, who she had in quite quick succession, her two boys, um, I think that that took her back to her childhood in her mind and reminded her of many elements of her childhood. And then I think that she was somebody who, she wasn't somebody who in any way separated things in life. And that's one of the, the cornerstones of what Leonora is about, what her philosophy was about in every way. She was about connections and she was about boundaries and blurring boundaries and seeing similarities between one thing and another and another thing and how that's relevant to what you're talking about now I think is that she wasn't the sort of person for whom 
painting, doing your job happened between, I don't know, 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. And she'd go into a studio and close the door. Um, her art, the mural I just mentioned, for example, as I understand it, was painted in the middle of the house. I mean, it would be too big anyway for the studio. And as you say, she she used to talk about painting with the paintbrush in one hand and the baby in the other. Um, and I think that she did find, well, it's very clear, as you say, Wendy, from her paintings around that time, which is a, a, a really golden era for Leonora, the late the, the 40s, mid 40s on, isn't it, into the 50s? Um, uh, because, you know, she's obviously hugely um, sort of energised by um, motherhood. And uh, and indeed, uh, well, this is not, this is only connected uh, because it's another artist who's the same sort of um, era as Leonora, although she died many years ago. But Barbara Hepworth, you know, she's another artist, isn't she? Who, I mean, uh, how extraordinary is her story? She has one child and carries on writing and then she has three more triplets and then her work starts to reflect you know the the, the three um you know I've, I've always been very struck with um with the Hepworth uh, story and uh and I think that maybe uh many you know art history for, for, for many many years I'm working on another project now which is very connected to this art history for many many years has been dominated by men who have seen the world through a male lens um, and 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 they in the West they've tended to be white men and that's been a problem in other directions as well for people from other from of colour um, so they've tended to look for white men and they've tended to look uh, they've tended to see the world through that prism and I think they've tended to think that motherhood as you say is something that um, undermines a woman's energy and talent but as you say the the um, um, uh, if we look at Leonora's work and if we look at Hepworth's work, we would think the exact opposite. They were energised by the arrival of babies and did their best work, you know, around these, this time. So absolutely right. I, I have just a couple more questions and I see some wonderful questions already coming into the chat. So I, I always like opening it up earlier than later, but I do have another question or two. For my own personal, um, and I think this is something for the audience as well, or anyone really, you, you mentioned, and for those of us who knew her, we can also attest that she did not like to talk about her paintings. Um, I remember having to do a two-day press conference before I first did a show, and I was a very young, I'll say maybe naive gallerist, and she said, okay, I'll do this press conference with you. It was in Mexico City, but I will not talk about the paintings. You have to do that. You know, and here I am, and and she is to this day one of the most. Um, there is so much to unpack in so much of her work. I mean, her brilliance is there's just so much more scholarship and mystery, which is one of the reasons I I love it because it's a constant gift when you work with her. But in your book, you write, and I'm quoting: Leonora never discussed her work even while discussing her work which I, I just thought was, uh, that's right, you nailed that. I mean, so you have found a way, I think, around this, you know, speaking about place and space, as we mentioned before. I'm curious what you think, Joanna, if she were alive today and hearing all this buzz, how she would respond to you talking about her work now. I know she wanted you to publish, as you mentioned earlier, after she was no longer alive, but how does that thinking you know, she's watching you or, or she, how do you, how do you serve her as an audience in today's world and thinking about how she would respond to your work? Because I, I know I think about that a lot. That's a really, that's a, a, a really interesting um, question. I mean, it seems to me that uh, any kind of artist is interested in communicating. And indeed, this is an idea I got entirely from Leonora. I mean, I almost, you know, she told me this herself. Art is always about communication. Mm. Um, so an artist paints or sculpts and a writer writes in order to touch the lives of others. And I and I I I think I, I think Leonora is sometimes there's a misunderstanding around this thing that she didn't want to discuss her work. She didn't want to discuss her work because more than anything else, she was curious about other people. And that's what made her such a fascinating and inspiring individual, actually. Uh, and, you know, in my day job, I have interviewed and in your day job, Wendy, you will have met many artists 
who are only too happy to spend hours telling you about their work. Um, and uh, and it is quite, you know, it can, it can be quite boring. And, uh, and also, how brilliant was it that Leonora was somebody who kind of democratized her work? She gave it to us. She said, here it is. Make of it what you want. I'm not going to tell you how to interpret my work question in the chat that I can take from Susan Rich. One of them is, uh, I'm very interested in Carrington's time in the U.S. Was she in Chicago, New York? Tell us more. Um, and I just saw the Red Medias Faro show, says Susan Rich. And she wants to know if they had a close friendship or was there also a rivalry? Um, in Joanna's book, um, I, I'll just stick to the book because that's why we're here today for the most part. Um, chapter 10 is entitled New York and Chicago. And it talks about um, Leonora's time traveling back and forth between 1968 and 1992. Um, she did spend some time in Chicago. Her son Pablo was in medical school there. And um, uh, at that time, they you know, were grown adults. So she would go back and forth in Chicago. And she also spent some time in New York. She was showing there with a gallery and the late 80s. And um, so she loved New York very, very much um, based on, you know, her telling me that. And then in 1941 and 42, on her way or en route from um, Europe, as Joanna mentions earlier, she does migrate um, and spend about a year in New York. Um, she makes some incredible, I want to, we think there's six, maybe seven small works on paper. If anybody knows where they are, I'd love to know. Um, I've, I've found five of them so far. There's these incredible um, pieces on paper that she she uh, makes while she's in New York. And then that point in time, she reunites with Max Ernst from a friendship perspective um, and Peggy Guggenheim and you know many of the other surrealists who are there in New York having just um, emigrated and left the war-torn European continent. Um, her and Varro, who is Varro, as you all know, is, or maybe many of you know, as uh, an artist who I also have worked with for 20 years, is some an artist who I learned a lot about, actually, from my friendship with Leonora and continue to learn about the show at the Art Institute of Chicago um, called Science Fictions, just opened up earlier this month in, or in, in July and is extraordinary. Um, and I think those two were the closest of friends. Um, the show that Joanna worked on in 2010 at the Pallant House Gallery in the UK was entitled Surreal Friends. And it's really the visual depiction um, of Leonora Carrington, Remedios Varro, and Kati Horna, who was a Hungarian photographer and close friend of of. Uh, Karen, Leonora and her husband and part of that circle of friends in, in Mexico. I never sense there ever being a rivalry between the two of them. If there is a rivalry, it might be, you know, I oftentimes come across people say, oh, well, I prefer Leonora's work to Varro's work. And and I feel like it's 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 not a zero-sum kind of <laughs> entity, you know, game. It is like they're both equally extraordinary artists for very different reasons. Um, but they were oftentimes reading uh, similar books, exploring similar um, philosophies of the time, most, notice, most notably um, Gurdjieff and Uspensky while they were in, in Mexico and some of the other Russian mystics. Um, but, but I would not, I, I never felt that there was a rivalry and I don't, I haven't read anything to that effect. Um, so, but it is a nice and fair question. You know, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, she had very, you know, lots of memories of uh, Katy Horner and Remedia Svaro and the friendship. And I think in some ways, the, the kind of, the, the, the model they recreated in Mexico City, they all lived very close to each other in the same area of Mexico City, and they spent a lot of time in one another's houses. Um, and the, you know, the the kitchen table at Leonora's and at Catty's 
um, uh, were, you know, these were the, the 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 center of their world, really. And it and it's it, it strikes me that it's quite similar to what she had seen, you know, and Remedios, of course, as well. And Cathy, I think, had also been in Paris, uh, but Leonora was the one who was at the table of the Dumago, as I say, at the center of the of the of the surrealist movement. But they were doing the same kind of things that were happening there, as in, you know, uh, uh, for for Leonora. As for those surrealists in Paris, art was not just about what you put on your canvases. It was about how you lived. It was about the ideas that were that were that were connected to your art. And discussing these ideas was very much at the heart of what Leonora Remedios and Cati were about. And of course, it is fascinating, uh, particularly for people who I'm sure there are many people here who know more than me about this, but people who know about the history of surrealism, which was a male-centric movement. Um, and so I find it fascinating that these women went off to a far flung part of the world, were not that interested in what was happening. Of course, the world moved on from surrealism quite quickly anyway. Um, but there were people, uh, there the were people left who were surrealists. And Leonora and uh, Cathy and Remedios, while all you know, that surrealism was definitely, well, one could argue, I don't think they would be bothered either way, but one could argue was the sort of umbrella for their work. They they were, they they didn't need to be part of some bigger movement. They just, they were their own little cell of surrealism, if you like. And and, and as I say, they might not even have called it that, they, but they were, they were a women-centric uh, you know, it was it was about them as women. Of course, they were surrounded by men, and there were men in the in the movement as well. But I think it was a really radical, um, you know, movement. Uh, well, friendship, you might say, and uh, and and of course, there were tensions from time to time. Um, but uh, well, I got that impression. But you know, not 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 serious ones. And Remedios um, very died very early, as you as you know, Wendy. Um, in the in 1961, was it or 63? I forget. Anyway, the early 60s, Three. she died. Young, mm -hmm. 1963. Um, Cathy lived on for, for much longer. Um, but anyway, yes, they they were very close, and their work was about they bounced off one another. I do think that you, in your writing style and showing the images and the illustrations, again, some of them are very fresh. I've never seen published or rarely seen published. Um, I think you present the writing and the work without telling us what to think or say or do in a way that I, I think Leonora would have liked. <laughs> Just like she, you know, you're you're you you basically put it on the reader and in this case the viewer to to interpret their own meaning without telling us what to think when I'm looking at a specific painting. Would how would you say that's accurate? Am I am I right in that, or was that intentional? Uh, no, but I take it as a, as a you know great compliment. Thank you so much for saying that because because uh, basically I try in my work to um, I try to you know think how would Leonora? I, I mean I'm not I don't feel like I'm just doing things thinking that you know that I've got to do I've got to do the thing Leonora would have done but I'm obviously very aware of her spirit and um and uh and uh, and yeah and and I you know I wouldn't have spent five years spending so much time with her if I didn't really love the way she uh lived um and so you know I I I hope well maybe some of it rubbed off on me and I got the same sort of ideas. And also, I'm not an art historian. So the last thing I'm going to do is start saying, um, you know, think this or think or think that. And as I say, she was incredibly, um, you know, sort of her general. She had this extraordinary generosity for all of us to uh, to be able to, to 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 make our own decisions about about her about her work. So I I I you know just offer it on basically. That's I, I that's 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 all I that's what I feel I'm I'm doing. And I you know I used to say this. I've said this before, and I used to say it at the time. I, I always knew I had these kind of wonderful years with her, these five years. And I knew that whatever happened after, of course, it's wonderful to, you know, to meet people. And like you were saying, Wendy, to go to these exhibitions, we've met up in what Copenhagen and Madrid and wherever, uh, Venice, you know. Uh, um, but being with Leonora in that house 
uh, even though I'd spent hours like trying to get her out for a pizza, you know, because we'd been in the house for so long. But that was that was the golden stuff of this for me. Um, uh, but sharing her is is absolutely wonderful as well. And I just want to 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 to, as I say, just offer offer on some of because I feel I was incredibly lucky to to get that time. It really changed my life. And uh, and I think that her art is has so much to say in the world of today, more and more, in fact, to, to say, you know, as, as we're up against it um, on so many fronts, ecology, feminism, uh, you know, the, and, and this kind of interconnectedness of everything. Um, all these, these are big themes for Leonora. The end of, of, of organised religion and yet the deep spirituality that there is in us as human beings. These were all the things that Leonora was fascinated about. And she was fascinated with them back in the 40s. I know. She was so far ahead of her time. I mean, I remember we would often swap book suggestions. And I, the first book she ever told me to read, she's like, here, she pulled a copy off. Here's a, you need to read the Tibetan Book of the Dead. <laughs> okay. You know, but that was what she's, this is what you need to read somehow, not to understand her work, but it was something that was informing her philosophy, all of her like uh, fascination with Egypt and the Mayan world and the, and, you know, the occult. And I mean, it was, it was pretty extraordinary. And of course, you know, her favorite being Alice in Wonderland probably, which just is the cutest thing. So um I wanted to say, and it's and before we turn it over to questions, Peter, I don't know if you're going to chime back in on this, chime back in, but there was a question in here that reminded me um, of something that you said earlier, Joanna, which is this, you know, one of the gifts or lessons that Leonora left us. And you, you wrote this, I think, in italics in your books, uh, to be honest, be true to yourself, and be authentic. It seems so simple, but yet in the world today, it's so, so hard. I mean, if I'm in an artist studio visit, I say almost that exact mantra, right? And I'm wondering if you can just share one example from your book, not all of them, because again, we want some people, I guess, to buy the book, right? But, but where do you think she best illustrates this? Which Thing in her life does she do that best represents this own her own mantra that she shared and gifted on to us her own mon- mantra about about being authentic honesty. being true to yourself yeah. what, what do you think i mean, well, so I, mean I, think just, I think she just did it you know it was just right across the board in her life so her canvases you know when you look at her paintings if I just open my book here at, at random, you know, um, um, her, a painting like, for example, let me just find one. A painting like, for example, The House Opposite, which just happens to be one of my favourite paintings by Leonora, which is from this golden era that we were talking about earlier, when Wendy, um, 1945. The House Opposite which I'll, I'll kind of hold up. I mean, you, you know, do check it out online or wherever you can, where you, some of you will have, you know, um, will have uh, books with Leonora's work in, I'm sure. This is the house opposite. And it, it, um, there are so many layers of life in this, in this painting. And I personally think that every figure, they're all female figures in this painting, as far as one can tell. And uh, and they, 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 I think they are all Leonora, and they're Leonora at different phases in her life, and uh, there are figures moving from one floor to another, you know, moving through the floorboards. There's a figure on the ground floor on the left who looks like a woman who's also a tree because her head has the branches coming from it, and that's, um, as I said earlier, you know, very typical of the kind of. Um, the, the, her interest in boundaries. What's the difference between one kind of animal and a, and a human and another? The difference between a horse and a person. Um, the difference between a plant and a human being or another animal. She's really, really interested in these um, in these questions. And when you spent time with her, which I know you did as well, Wendy. Um, uh, you know, when you spent time with her, the stuff of the conversations was the same stuff as. The, the 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 paintings this was leonora's world she wasn't 
pretending. She wasn't in any way creating a reality, creating a world because she thought it might be interesting or sell work. She was in this world because it was totally congruent to who she was and to the complexity of life. And that's something that she used to talk about quite a lot um, at the uh, uh, she used to talk quite a lot about. Um, uh, uh, sorry, I've got com- I've, I've got distracted by someone saying and I should have said that this is on page one, six, seven, yes, this painting. Yes. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, thank you very much. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, see, see the, she used to talk about how as, as she got older, things had only only seemed more confusing that she she had she wasn't somebody who who would say that she'd sorted everything out you know and she wouldn't her her paintings are very true to to the, the these the, this as she saw it the truthfulness of life is that we're so any situation is so many layers isn't it it's the past it's 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 relationships it's other things that have happened it's everything that brings me to this space now is so many layers and i think leonora in her paintings is trying to show these layers of 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 reality some of which we can see and feel many of which we cannot see and feel but they're still there um, uh, they're to do with our past. Often her paintings have have her ancestors or, or ancestors, you know, the dead creatures and people who've gone before us in this world. They're, they're there in the bottom layer, um, just as the stars and sky are there on, in, in the sun at the top of the painting. And it's this this knowledge that she that she had that we all have. Uh, that life is layered. That uh, that, that she is um, is 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 uh, showing for us in her paintings, and that seems to me to be really part of this congruency. Of of I never met anybody who was more congruent than Leonora. Okay. Uh, sorry, I've got Joanna. There are some great questions in here. I can move over. I don't know, if Peter. I can just read them, or yeah. Why don't you just read them? That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. I'm going, to t- I'm going to take it from the top. Wendy Grossman has a really nice question, Joanna. I'll read it out there. I don't know if everybody can see it. That It um, says, thank you, Joanna, for all your contributions, enriching the appreciation of Leonora Carrington and sharing your time with us today. Have you have you discovered new information about Adi, I think it is? Fiddleine? Fiddleine? I don't know how she pronounces her last name. And Fiddleine. And her relationship yes. with Leonora. Um, have you t- and do you talk about that because you talk about in Leonora really liking Addie but not Man Ray so is there um something about that in your book and that's Wendy's question so well I think what you've said there when Wendy is pretty much what I've said in the in the book because um in fact one of the interesting things that that happens to you. Many of you will know this because I'm sure many of the the audience here are people who've written books. But when you write a, a biography or something like a biography or a memoir, you connect with many other writers who are writing biographies or memoirs of the circle that your person is in. So it, it's a, it's a very interesting relationship. And some time ago, I was contacted by a writer who was very interested in trying to put together more information about Adi Fiddlin um, to, 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 uh, to, to think about to move towards a book or a movie. Um, uh, but I didn't have much more to share beyond remi- remembering how, how highly Leonora had spoken of her and how much she liked her and enjoyed her company in the, in the relatively short time they spent together. But I'd be personally fascinated if that person, that writer, has been able to. Uh, so I guess we should all watch out for it because she, she or I think it is she, um, is, is out there hopefully working away and will one day produce a book. Yes, I know who she is. She just finished a yeah, fellowship at the Met and was they gave her this wonderful fellowship where she could do all this research on Addie. So I'm really excited to hear what she comes up with as well. So absolutely. We'll see um, right now. And another great question, Joanna, here is that I have no idea the answer to this one. I'm, I'm hoping you do. Uh, Mary Bird writes in, do you know much about her time in Cuernavaca? Did she know Robert Brady? 
Um, he lived there about the time that Leonora was there and Peggy Guggenheim visited him many times. Um, Brady collected Rivera and Kahlo. He was also an artist and his home is now a museum. Do you know anything about Robert Brady? I do not. I've been to Robert Brady's house uh, several times. I mean, to the okay. museum, yes. And it's fascinating, a, a wonderful place to visit if, uh, if anybody's in that area of Mexico. Um, Leonora and her family had a, a kind of weekend house in Cuenavaca for, for some years. And uh, and in fact, I'm just trying to remember now what Gabby, Leonora, Uh oh, the ghost of Leonora. <laughs> <laughs> she does like to let us know she's still listening, I think. <laughs> Joanna, uh, can you hear us? There is a question here about Leonora's relationship or lack thereof with Leonora, uh, with Dorothea Tanning, who's also an artist that I've been representing the foundation for almost 20 years and with whom I briefly corresponded before she passed. Um, and and uh, I don't think that Leonora and Dorothea had much of an interaction at all. Um, if anything, they've exhibited alongside one another, most famously in Peggy Guggenheim's 31 Women show. It was the first time I think they officially showed next to each other. Um, uh, I think that um, because Dorothea went on to marry um, and spend the rest of her life with Max Ernst, um, and by that point, um, Leonora was long gone and in love with her husband and having children, I, I, I think, um, you know, it was really a non-issue, at least from Leonora's perspective. Max Ernst was reportedly a, quite the charmer. <laughs> and I still thankfully know his children and grand, I should say grandchildren, and they would echo that too. Um, oh, there she is. Sorry, I'm sorry. To what, we're just, I, what, I was trying to fill in for you doing a, uh, you know, my best attempt, but there was a question about Dorothea Tanning and the relationship with Leonora and, and, and Dor Dorothea, which I, I answered as being relatively non-existent other than the fact that they, they, you know, exhibited alongside one another in a couple shows when they were both alive. Yeah, but the thing about Dorothea Tanning is that um, my read, anyway, and this is information that I've got fairly recently, um, and obviously, well, not obviously, but I didn't know Dorothea. But one thing I became very conscious of was how missing Leonora was from uh, Max Ernst's story down the line uh, and if you look back at uh you know it that at uh if you look at at the sources on max ernst there is very little about leonora and it has been suggested to me more recently by somebody who knew a lot more than i did that dorothea really i mean it's going too strongly to say maybe that she kind of airbrushed leonora out but she did not seek to um publicize any Leonora's part in her husband's life and of course Dorothea was going to be the substantive wife of Max Ernst and they were together for, 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 for some decades I think he died in 1973 didn't he yeah. um, so uh, um, I think Dorothea was not looking for time she was she was not looking for for times to Acknowledge Leonora's part in Max Ernst's story, um, and I and I and I think that there, it seemed to me that, that there was this kind of mistaken idea, what seemed to be a mistaken idea about what had happened between Max Ernst and Leonora. That Max had, you know, she'd been another of his much younger women, and when the time had come, he'd got fed up with her and moved on. And I don't think that is the story. Um, I think that uh, he was still very much in love with her at the time that she chose to leave him. And indeed, his paintings from around that period, the early 1940s, many of them show a woman who is very Leonora-esque with the long curl, curly hair moving out of the frame. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, that, 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 that Dorothea's role is... Um, is interesting in the in the in the story. Jose Horner, who you're just talking about as well there, 
Um, Leonora often said that she did not collaborate. She wasn't a collaborator as an artist. Um, there, there were a few examples of times when she did co collaborate. I mean, she for, didn't. She she would say she didn't collaborate. I think because it wasn't something she did generally. But with Jose Horner, who is married to her great friend Katty Horner, and basically the Horners and uh, Leonora and Cheeky Vice, and then to some extent Remedios and her partner. But the, the, those those two couples in particular, they raised their children together. They became they were like they were fa they were basically family, pretty much in those years in the fifties. Um, and the and the uh, you know through through the early 60s. Sadly, Jose Horner died the same year as Remedios Faro, so the group was really, uh, you know, really devastated by these losses in that year. Um, but Leonora did work with Jose Horner, and he was an, a, a fabulously talented craftsperson. And the work he did uh, creating objects, pieces uh, of, uh, from wood and other materials. Uh, there are some stunning examples and one in particular that I'm very fond of is a crib called the Kuna that um, that uh, Jose crafted and Leonora painted the dreamscape around the side of it. Um, I was, uh, this is, uh, I don't know how many people are, if everybody's in America and you know, may not know, but um, I was putting my little nephew to, to bed recently. He's two. And uh, there's something that all kids in England are fascinated by. It's on BBC, uh, CBBS, and it's called the Night Garden. And every kid in Britain of two goes to sleep to the Night Garden. And the, 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 uh, the, the, this show shows a boat with a, with dreams on it going out of the picture. And I was like, it's Leonora. Well, like telling my little nephew, <laughs> who's also Leonora's, I suppose, you know, relative, because he's my um, little uh, nephew on my moorhead side. So another example of how she was way ahead. Um, but uh, but also that was an example of a collaboration and a, and a, and a very wonderful one. Yeah, Jose was, um, there's not enough written about him, but he helped her on several different sculptures, as you mentioned earlier, wooden sculptures. And also he worked with Remedios Faro on a few of um, these objects that she made that are mirrored wooden um, boxes that she made that are pretty incredible from the forties too. So, so he, he sounds like a very, a very lovely man who you just don't hear as much about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think maybe his early, uh, relatively early um, death, possibly. Uh, but, but I mean, Katty Horner as well, his partner, um, a photographer. I mean, I think she's a woman, a, 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 an artist of extraordinary talent that really hasn't, she hasn't uh, pretty much begun to be uh, picked up. I don't know what you think of her work, Wendy, but um, it seems to me I, it's fairly I love funny. Katy Horner's photography. Of course, I'm partial to the series she did of Leonora, but she's an incredible photographer. The war photos from Spain. I mean, she's she's incredible. Um, yeah, there needs to be more about her. There was recently a show in New York, a gallery. I don't remember the name of the gallery that just did a show. But um, another question here. I think we have time for a couple more. I think we're allowed to go to 115-ish. Um, I just want to make sure everybody feels heard. Um, Sarah Maltzman wrote in a great question. I don't know the answer to either. It says, thanks so much for this discussion, Joanna. Did Leonora ever discuss her interest in mysticism, particularly, particularly Jewish mysticism, including the, the lithograph she did in 1974 at the Taller de Grafica Mexicana of Costume Ideas for S. Ansky's The I know those pieces, but did she ever talk about that with you? She didn't talk to me. She didn't talk about the, that specifically, but she did talk about her interest in one quite funny thing that she used to say was that um, because she had this really wide ranging and very true, of, of course, as well, interest in, you know, as we all do, really, don't we? In, 
and you know what is life about what are we all doing here what 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 spiritual realm might have truth in it she's very interested very open to ideas about spirituality and mysticism and one quite funny thing she used to say to me was that when her sons were in their in their maybe their early 20s or teens even you know they, they were the sort of age where Often it's the mother who's worried about the about the the, the teenagers and what kind of funny organisations and sects and things they're getting involved in. But in their case, it was the sons who were worried and the mother who was going off trying out various different sort of uh, you know uh, uh, spiritual groups. One thing she said to me was that um, uh, she, like me, had been raised in the Catholic Church and indeed Catholicism is another. You know, you see a lot of echoes of catholicism in her work but she said to me that she'd 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 uh, become interested in many different areas of, of spirituality and cheeky her husband was of course jewish um, and she was certainly very interested in judaism um, but she told me that buddhism was where she had found maybe the most holistic um where she had found something that she she would most engage with or that seemed to her to have a lot a lot of truth that that connected for her yeah um joanna before we wind down i mean there were there are two other questions in here one has to do with her relationship with edward james and then a couple of people wrote in about her time in the u.s and i was just looking through my um uh, there's a couple great films that uh, Edward James has been have been made documentaries on Edward James, which mentions his time with Leonora, sort of in the inverse. But he was such a central force in her life, such an important person in her life, and and she actually someone he, she spoke to me about too. I mean, you want to talk about him a little bit and how important he was to her. For sure, yes. So um, Edward James was. Uh... Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> is she in the English Lana. countryside or in Scotland? Where is she? Where is she? Uh, well, she's in a hotel. Oh. Uh, so it's the hotel Wi-Fi that's the issue here. <laughs> Joanna, um, I don't know if you can hear us. Um, yeah, Edward James was a, an English um, patron of hers. Um, his uh, collection or foundation is called West Dean in the UK. Uh, part of his work and his collection has been sold, so you can kind of see the extent to which he was supporting and was such a major patron for so many artists. But he was very, very close. He was more than just a patron. He was very close to Leonora. And um, uh, he helped to underwrite everything from the tapestries that she made to some of the bigger um, artworks that she made. I mean, he would acquire things at a time when she just needed money to survive. And, and um, so he ended up owning and uh, collecting some of the greatest works of, by Leonora throughout the course of his life. Um, famously, he has this incredible um, piece of land in Hilitla. Um, it's a site of architectural wonder. There she is, Joanna, just talking about Edward James. I'll let you you chime in here. Just I was just talking about how he was such a patron, but I, I think talking about what he was doing in Mexico was so fascinating. That's another that's another film in and of itself. Absolutely, yeah. Well, um, I mean, they had a lot in common, these two, um, Leonora and Edward James. He was a bit older than Leonora, but um, not so much. And um, and they had both come from these very wealthy backgrounds. I mean, Edward James's background was a lot wealth, was fabulous. He was he was from two very uh, um, moneyed American families, in fact, or at least one was American. And so he was pretty fabulously wealthy and they lived in an enormous house, which is to this day, uh, well, now a college of, um, of liberal arts, I guess you'd call it, um, and uh, West Dean College in Sussex. Um, but as you say, as I think you were saying there, Wendy, um, uh, they became friends in Mexico. 
Are we, did we lose her again, Peter? Should we say yes? Goodbye? Yes. Okay. Well, let's, let's bring her back in maybe and we'll just kind of have a last statement. Yeah, because it seems like she's having some trouble. I'm here again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we should Edward, probably. Yes, Edward, I'm so sorry about that. Uh, Edward was a was a very you know uh, important figure, as I think Wendy said in Edward's life, and they obviously had a lot in common. They were kindred spirits in many ways, um, and uh, yeah, she she also returned to the UK with Edward um, to Scotland in the 1970s, I think, early 70s. It must have been. And that was to a Buddhist monastery, actually. Yeah. Well, I would say, I just want to say thank you, Joanna, for writing this book, for shedding new life and for me and just crystallizing some things I've thought about. And, and it really, it was a wonderful read for me, as I, as I said in the outset, and I said to you personally as well. So thank you. And thanks, Peter, for putting it together. Well, thank, thank you very, very much. It's it's uh, it's always a privilege to share. Also, want to remind everyone we have posted links with which you may purchase copies of Surreal Spaces. Uh, also, we have quite a selection of books on surrealism, as well as books by and or about Leonora Carrington. So, uh, posted links for those as well. But please come on down, browse our stacks. We are located in San Francisco's historic North Beach District. We're open seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. We're slowly getting back to our pre-pandemic hours. Today's event has been made possible by support from the City Lights Foundation, continuing the legacy of our founder, the late Lawrence Ferlinghetti, through public events like this one, our publishing program, and educational outreach, all dedicated to sustaining a vibrant community of readers, writers, and independent thinkers. So goodbye, everyone. Take care. We hope to see you all again soon. Thanks for listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast from City Lights Bookstore and Publishers. Our theme music was provided by Axolotl. All City Lights events are free. To see upcoming events at City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, check out www.citylights.com events.